to you, and it's um, almost verbatim taken from the uh, the very end of Romans chapter 11, and uh, the Apostle Paul, he says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For he who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And that's the end of Romans chapter 11. And what I love is, is right at the very beginning, Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul, he goes on to say this, um, I appeal to you, therefore, because of this, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And what I love about those two passages kind of being married together is that when we we ponder and when we think on on the, the depths of God, just the, the majesty of God. I think about Pastor Sean when he showed us uh, last week just uh, the, the universe, all the different things God's created, and the more that we learn about him, the more we realize we don't know a whole lot of, uh, about him, you know, the more we realize that it's just we can't ever exhaust thinking on him, that it should lead us to live transformed lives. And so this is a song um, called Doxology Romans 11. of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God How unsearchable His judgment How unknowable His paths Who knows the mind of our God and who can bring counsel to Him Who is given to God God should
take time out and we just look toward you, that you would transform our lives, God. Where you 
of the fulfillment of that need being Jesus Christ. Him and Him alone. So thank you for that gift. Thank you for the gospel. And thank you for this time we have together, Lord. I pray that uh, as Pastor Sean opens your word, that you would um, give him understanding, give him clarity by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, and give us understanding so that we may leave here changed and energized for the Great Commission. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Coastal Church. Good to see you this morning. Thank you, worship team. We're going to dive in here to Creed, week number two. Uh, do me a favor, inside of your uh, bulletin is a handout. You can get that out and follow along with me. And uh, if you're, uh, that's a great way to prepare for your small group. So if you're not in a small group, let me encourage you, it's not too late, okay? We, I know my small group, we had a great small group last week, and I uh, can't wait for this week, all right? So I hope that you're a part of a small group, and uh, we'd love to, that's part of this journey that we're taking together. I do want to remind you, let me, first of all, shameless plug number one, I wasn't intending to say this, okay? Parents, uh, if you have a student in student ministry, our summer camp 
is incredible, okay? And I'm not, you know, I'm saying that from a parent's perspective. Uh, you're, it, it, it's the, it, this camp is unique uh, that our students go to. It's called Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters. SWO is what you hear your kids say it, calling it. And uh, they have a great balance of your kids will have an amazing time, but they couple that with, um, uh, it's not shallow teaching. They're trying to make your children disciples of Jesus Christ uh, with a missional focus. It's like nothing I've ever seen when it comes to camp, and I would just really, really encourage your, if you have a high school, middle school student, to encourage them to go. Uh, they will encourage your children to be in the Word you know, on a regular basis, and it's a great camp, so that, I wasn't intending to say that. Uh, but yeah, send your, send your students, all right? Uh, I want to remind you, church members, okay, we have a membership meeting today after the 1115 service, probably get started around 1215, 1230 probably is the real time, so I really hope you're int- intending to, um, to uh, attend that, and then if you have your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 2. That's kind of going to be close to my ending point here this morning, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. And while you're doing that, uh, whenever we do the six-week series, we try to recommend or highlight a reading source uh, that you can supplement your study. And so uh, if you want uh, to highlight with what I'm reading and some of the staff behind the scenes are reading, we're reading this little book called I Believe. it's Exploring the Apostles' Creed. It's written by Alistair McGrath. Uh, that is not my friend Alistair, but uh, Alistair McGrath does sound Scottish. So, uh, yeah, so it's a great book, and uh, that we're selling them pretty much at our cost, $12 out of the Connect Center. And love for you to get that if you, if you love to do a little extra reading. Uh, man, that's a great resource. You know, uh, parents are... Um, you parents are nuts when it comes to your kids, you know, um, and, and so am I. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me. If I'm ever in a conversation that's dragging a little bit, you know, and I'm not really sure what to say, I'll look at the person and say, so tell me about your kids. That'll change the conversation. I mean, immediately people's face light up. And they cannot wait to talk about their kids, you know, tell you everything about them. One of the things that's always funny to me is, you know, I'll be in the lobby of the church after the church service. Someone come rushing up to me. Did you hear about my, and they'll put in their kid's name. Did you hear about my Beth? Like, no, was it in the daily press? No, it wasn't in the daily press, but now I'm going to hear about some award that they got, you know, or, or some accomplishment or, you know, the whatever, you know, and, and like, I get it. Like, I remember, you know, and by the way, you college students, college students that are here, like, your parents are bragging about you at their home church right now. They can't help themselves, you know. I remember when I got married, uh, we had, in attendance of our wedding, we had the third baseman of the New York Mets at my wedding, right? And my father rushed up to him and told him what a great baseball player I was in Little League. You know, like I, I like to die, you know, like, like to crawl in a rock. It's like we can't help ourselves, you know. And, and man, we get talking about our kids, we just want to brag about them. And, and by the way, let me tell you something about one of my kids this week. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Um, there's two instances in the Gospels where I feel like our Heavenly Father does the same thing. It's at the baptism of his son, Jesus Christ, and at the Mount of Transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus, kind of the, his divinity was revealed uh, to a couple of his disciples, a couple of guys he was closest to, Peter, James, and John, and his divinity is revealed. And when this happens, Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, it's like, it's like God the Father just can't wait to brag. Like, hey, let me tell you something. So in Matthew 17, 5, as the divinity of Jesus is revealed to these three men, It says this, Matthew 17, but even as he spoke, in other words, as Jesus is speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, 
This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. And I love that. And, when I, and, and I love that the father is, is bragging about his son. And, and so last week, we, we kind of dove into the Apostles' Creed, and, and we looked at the first line of the Creed, and, and, and I actually spent some time on the historicity of the Creed and why I think this is important. So if you missed last week, do me a favor, go online. I want you to keep up with this series. And I kind of covered that there. And, and one of the things I love about the Apostles' Creed is, is there, these are the essential doctrines of the early church. And I kind of talked about last week that to be a Christian isn't just that we believe in God. And we talked about last week how the, uh, in James, the book of James says even the demons believe in God, and at least they're smart enough to tremble at the thought of fight facing Almighty God. It's important to know that as a Christian, there are certain things you have to believe to be Christian. And so we're unpacking that, and this, is, this creed is kind of the essentials of the, of the early church, and, a, and I think it serves to encourage us to remind us that the stuff that we believe has, has been, has been uh, held to in the hearts and the minds of Christians for thousands of years. So for me, there's an anchor in history, but I've been trying to teach you the creed so that you have a memorable way to, to memorize some very key doctrines of the New Testament about what we believe. And so, so this morning, we're going to transition, all right? And last week we looked, looked at God the Father, but this morning uh, we're going to look at, at, at Jesus, his son. And, and, and the next part of the Apostles' Creed gives us a great understanding uh, of a definition of who Jesus is. So, so here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to read this uh, first couple lines together, and we're going to build on this each week. And, and my hope is that the, the creed begins to stick in your mind. And so you, you have a, a memorization tool for some essential doctrines. So creed, ready? Here we go. Is it up there? Good. Here, let's read this aloud. Ready? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Let's talk about the first thing that we're confessing here this morning about God's son, Jesus. Jesus, the creed teaches us, is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Now let's talk about the name of Jesus because I think this is very, very important. The first thing you need to know about the name of Jesus is Jesus. The word Jesus literally, literally means God saves. God saves. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it's, the angel announces, and she will, she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, uh, let me be clear about the message of the Bible, okay, in regards to God the Father with you, all right? Let me be clear about the, the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is not that you're pretty good and you just need a, a little religion and a little moral guidance. That's not the message of the Bible, all right? The message of the Bible is, is not that you're sick and you just need a doctor, that is not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is that you are spiritually and morally dead in sin, meaning left to your own devices, you will always choose disobedience and rebellion from God the creator. Your heart will, is naturally inclined to unrighteousness. The message of the Bible is that left to your own, you hate God and you hate the things of God. It's the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is way more than please leave here today and try to be good because you will fail every time. 
message of the Bible is that you're dead in sin and what you need is new life that can only be given to you because of the Savior. The message of the Bible is you need salvation and you need a Savior. You need a Savior to bring life to all that was dead. You need a Savior to pay the penalty of your sin and your rebellion against God. The message of the Bible is you need a Savior to conquer death, both physically and spiritually. The message of the Bible is you need a Savior to restore all that was lost. The message of the Bible is that you need a Savior to restore all that was broken. The message of the Bible is that you need a Savior to bring back all that was all that God originally intended for us to have. You need a savior. And this creed reminds us that Jesus is the one who saves. As the birth of Christ was announced, the angels remind his name is Jesus because he is going to save man from their sin. And so we confess with the early church, Jesus is how God saves us because this is the next part is very important because he's the anointed one. How many of y'all, and that just, you don't have to share your hands on this, how many of y'all thought that Jesus Christ, that Christ was Jesus' last name, okay? It's not his last name, okay? It's actually a title, all right? It's a title that means anointed one. Jesus is the special one sent from God. Jesus is unique in all of history. He's the only one like himself. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's God in flesh. He's the only one capable of offering an acceptable payment for our sin and rebellion towards almighty God. The apostle Peter gives, some, gives, gives us a great um, definition of what it means to be the anointed one in, in Matthew chapter 16. And, and just to give you a little con, uh, context, Jesus here is asking his 12 what the rumor on the street is about who he is. So he says, what, are, what, are, what is everybody saying? That, who do they say that I am out there? You guys are out in the community. Who, who are they saying that I am? And, and, and so they give some answers. Well, some saying that you're a prophet, which by the way, I, I mentioned this last week, you, you can get away in a Muslim country by calling Jesus a prophet. Jesus never claimed just to be a prophet. He's, he's far more than that. And he says, some say you're John the Baptist, come back to life. And then Jesus looks at his disciples, he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says this in Matthew 16, 15, he says, then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, he said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Isn't that beautiful? Church, let me tell you something. This confession of who Jesus is has been and always will be the cornerstone on which Christ is building his church. It's the cornerstone. Jesus here announces to Peter, he says, Peter, and by the way, I think it's a twofold thing. A lot of people say, well, is Jesus saying he's going to build the church on Peter or on his confession? I always say the answer is yes to that. All right, it's a both and. Yes, he's building it on Peter, and yes, he's building it on that confession. 
And we live in a culture where the church is laying down this confession of who Jesus is. We're beginning to debate his Christology. We're beginning to debate who he really is. And because of that, we're no longer influencing our culture. And so there's a sense in which here in our culture, man, the gates of hell are prevailing because we are not building on this confession. And we, Coastal Community Church, will always build on this confession of who Christ is. He's the anointed one. He's the one sent from God. He's the only one who can make a payment for sin. We can't be good enough. We need a savior. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. And I agree with the early church says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, which leads to my next point here that Jesus is the Christ, isn't the anointed one, his only son. He's the son of God. Jesus is the son of God. Now, Pastor Joey did a, a great job of fleshing this out for us two weeks ago, so I'm not going to uh, attempt to build on that. I would encourage you to listen to his sermon from two weeks ago. He does a great job of rem- explaining us how people misunderstand this idea. My hope here with a few verses, though, is to um, show you some important inferences drawn from Scripture that teach us about the importance of Jesus being the Son of God the second person of the Trinity. One of the things we learn from our Old Testament is that only God can save us. Only God can save us. The prophets reminded the people of Israel that you need to look to God for salvation. You can't do it on your own. It's not going to be in prophets. It's not in idols. It's only the one true living God that can save you. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 21 God challenges through the prophet Isaiah. He says, consult together and argue your case. Get together and decide what to say. Who made these things known so long ago? What idol ever told you what would happen? Was it not I, the Lord? Check this out. For there's no other God but me, a righteous God and what? What's it say, church? And Savior. And Savior. There is none but me. Let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God and there is no other. The Old Testament teaches us that the God of the, the, uh, uh, the first part of the creed, our creator, heavenly father, he is the one we look to for salvation. Now check this out in the New Testament. The New Testament tells us only Jesus Christ can save us, right? In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, I love this verse. We, we actually put this as one of your scriptures in the middle of one of our songs to remind you what we're singing about. Acts 4 is teaching on Jesus as the only Savior. And Acts 4, 12 says, There's salvation in no one else. God has given us no other name under heaven by which we must be what, church? Saved. We have got to acknowledge Jesus as Savior going to be saved. So I hope you see the inference. If only God can save, then what's the inference about Jesus? Anybody? He's God. He's divine. Right? He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the Son of God. In fact, Paul reminds us, we looked at this last week, that, that if you're, you're an idol worshiper unless you worship the one and true living God, meaning your heart is fully engaged with the God of the universe. In fact, we're commanded to worship the creator, not the creation, right? It's the command of Paul in Romans chapter one. Yes, they knew, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give thanks to him. They began to think up foolish ideas 
of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise they instead became utter fools, which by the way, let me tie this into what Pastor Joey saying when we sang the doxology and taught us in Romans chapter 12, right? When you become a worshiper of God, your mind becomes clear, right? When you worship the created, your mind becomes clouded according to the scriptures. That's why Paul says, once you become a worshiper of Christ, you need to be transformed, Romans chapter 12 verse one, by what? The renewing of your what? Your mind, because your thinking becomes clear, because you're focusing on God as who he is, you're focusing on truth, right? As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Verse 22, claimed to be wise. They instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Paul, Paul tells us we, we're commanded to worship God the creator, right? Let's do another inference. Yet, in Philippians chapter 2, we're commanded that Jesus is to be the object of our worship, Okay, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is to be the object of our worship. And this is where I had you turn this morning in Philippians chapter 2. The passage that we're about, I'm about to read you, man, this is, man, this is a rich passage of Scripture. I hope you're familiar. I hope you read. Yeah, and by the way, maybe an easy little assignment for you this afternoon is just to read Philippians, all right, the whole letter. It's, a, it's an easy read, and uh, it's, it's, just an, it's, it's probably one of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote that he's got the most joy. It's encouraging. Uh, it's challenging. Uh, but this passage we're about to look at is so theologically full of Christology, okay, to, to use your big, you, all you seminary folks, you know, this big church word, but it's, it's a great study of Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. And, 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 and so Paul here is challenging this church in a city called Philippi, to, he's challenging them to stop being so selfish towards one another. And in that, he points this church to the person and work of God's son, Jesus Christ. And so check this out in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Paul says, don't be selfish. Don't try, try to impress others. Instead, be humble. Think of others as better than yourself. Don't, don't look out only for your own interests, but for the interests of others too. By the way, Paul here is writing to a church. Would, it, would that change a church if a group of people said, it is not about me? Imagine if everybody that walks in the doors of this corporate worship this weekend says, you know what, I'm coming in, I'm, not only do I want to worship God in my heart, and I want to sing some songs to God, and I want to learn from the scriptures, but man, I also want to look around, and I want to see everybody else in this room is more important than myself. How can I serve the people in this room? Would that radically change the community? Would it change your marriage? If you came home, you said, you know what, it's not about me. I'm going I'm to look out for, other, I'm gonna look out as my, for my spouse as, as more important than me. You know, I know I had a rough day, but I bet they had a rougher day. I'm going to find out their interests. I'm going to serve them. Would that change your marriage? Only one person thinks so, right? Oh, yeah, okay, it would radically change your marriage. Absolutely, right? So then the Apostle Paul just takes an interesting turn here, okay? He encourages the church to be humble and not to be self-serving, but to serve others. He says, uh, verse five, he says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to be clinged to, right? Like, you're an American, most of you in this room, right? Like, you have certain rights, You've been told that since you were in grade school. Imagine for a minute, we, when you're part of the kingdom of God, there's, there's another thing at work in your heart and life. Your, your rights are not something to be grasped. 
They're not something to be held on to. You must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, though he was God. He did not think equality of God something to be cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. It's the journey of humility and suffering of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore... God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above all other names, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amazing. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the one that we worship. He's the object of our worship. Jesus Christ, he's God, always has been, always will be. He did not come into existence. He's always existed with the Father. He is ascribed the attributes that can only be ascribed to God. He's eternal creator, savior. However, out of obedience to the will of the Father, he set aside his divine privileges and became the God-man, God incarnate, setting foot on this planet Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Coastal, I'm going to tell you something. As long as you attend here, you are going to hear Jesus lifted up because we believe, Philippians 2, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. The creed reminds us, man, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son. And then he says, and then the creed says this, our Lord, our Lord. I love this. By the way, our Lord is a positional title. All right, this is, this is a position. Again, it's not first, middle, and last name. Jesus Christ, our Lord, right? First, middle, and last name. That's what a lot of us think, but this is, a, this is a position. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? What's it say, church? You confess with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved, okay? Now, um, I, a couple weeks ago, I taught our membership class, and we spent some time here on the word saved. I always say the word saved is kind of this church word, okay? And we don't really know what it means. And, and uh, you might be sitting here like, I didn't know I needed saving, you know, saving from what? And, and the Bible teaches that we need, uh, that there's, there's a penalty to sin, And the penalty of sin is death. And there's two kinds of death the Bible talks about. There's physical death and then there's spiritual death. Okay, and that's and that death is the natural uh, consequence or penalty to sin. Now, none of us gets out of this thing alive, okay? But there's a second death that is more horrifying than the first death. And we need Jesus Christ to save us from the penalty that our sin deserves. Does that make sense? And so whenever you come across the word saved, I want you to add to your thinking. I don't want you to add to scripture. I just want to add to your understanding, okay? I'm saved from the penalty of my sin, Why? Because the penalty of my sin was born on Jesus Christ. That's why on the cross, he he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was bearing the wrath of God towards sin. All right? And so my sin was nailed to the cross of Christ, and he bore that wrath. And so he bore the penalty of sin. But to be a Christian... 
And this creed is a great reminder to be a Christian means that you have bowed a knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I've heard it taught. I remember when I was a kid, there was a lot of theological debate about this. I never really understood it. I I kicked against it. But when the church I grew up in, it was like, hey, you accept Jesus as Savior, and then later you make him Lord. How many of y'all ever heard that taught? Right? It's bad teaching. To be a Christian means that you have bowed a knee to the Lordship of Christ. To be a Christian means that you recognize Jesus for who he is. He's the Savior, he's the Son of God, and he is Lord. Now, let me challenge some common language that we use in Christianity, all right? Sometimes you'll hear somebody say, hey, you know what? Make Jesus Lord of your life, right? Or accept Jesus as Savior. Let me just tell you something. We're, we're going to do teaching on this in, down the road, but you know, Jesus Christ ascended to heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, God Almighty. And Jesus Christ is not seated at the right hand of the Father, wringing his hands, hoping that the human race will accept Jesus and have him be Lord, acknowledge him as Lord, all right? The deal is this. He is Savior, and he is Lord. We don't make him either. He already is. He's both. And if your spiritually dead and rebellious and callous heart begins to beat for these truths as Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, let me explain to you what that is. That is the grace of God reaching through the heavens and by the power of his word and by the power of his spirit bringing your spiritually dead heart back to life. That's what's happening. And if that's going on in your heart right now, that you're beginning to warm to the things of God and you're beginning to warm to his son, Jesus Christ, let me tell you what that is. That is a free gift of God called grace and grace alone. And what we do with that is we acknowledge what already is true about our Savior, about Jesus, the Son of God. He is Lord. To be a Christian is to recognize that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is Lord over all. Let me pause here for a minute. Let me say that again. To be a Christian is to recognize that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is Lord over all. That means as a Christian, we we bow a knee to his teachings and his ways and his instructions in every area of our lives. He's Lord over everything. He's Lord in regard to our church. He's Lord in regard to what you think about church. He's Lord in regard to your money. And how we use money to bring glory to him. He's he's Lord in regard to your parenting. And he's Lord in regard to your marriage. And he's Lord in regard to your singleness. And he's Lord in regard to your sex and sexuality. And he's Lord in regard to your attitudes. And he's Lord in regard to your time. And he's Lord in regard to your hobbies. And he's Lord in regard to what you choose to eat. And he's Lord in regard to what you choose to watch. And he's Lord in regard to what you choose to put into your body. And he's Lord in regard to how you 
treat others. And he's Lord in regard to what you read. And on and on the list goes, yes? To worship him is to say, I bow a knee to your ways and your teachings, dear God. He's Lord of all. To be a Christian means that we bow a knee to Jesus, the Christ, God's only son, our Lord. I, um, I'm going to finish with this and we're going to close with prayer. I, uh, a couple weeks ago, my, um, as I've, t- I've kind of, not very handy. That's, what I, that's how I want to start this story. I'm not very handy. I can't really fix much. And so a couple weeks ago, uh, my wife's sink in the bathroom was uh, not draining very quickly. And I, I had an intellectual understanding of what needed to happen. Okay. And I was like, I can do this. Right. And, and I, she, she had went out that Saturday and uh, spent some time with some people. And so I was like, when she comes home, I'm going to have her sink working, man, I can do this. So I get out my, uh, my one tool. Okay. I get out my big old plumber's wrench. I should have brought it today so we could all laugh at it. Okay. And so I bring it out my one wrench and get out my pliers. And I'm like, I can do this. I can get under my sink and I start tearing this thing apart, you know, tear apart the trap, and, and you know, it got water kind of going around, and I'm trying to get this little nut thing on the back of the sink to come so I can pull out the plunger thing, the plugger thing, get, you know, get all the junk out, and so I'm working on this thing, and an hour goes by, and two hours goes by, and at two and a half hours, I'm like, that's enough of this. I don't know what I'm doing, okay? And so, so, here, so at two and a half hours, I decide I'm going to reassemble the trap, and I'm just going to call a plumber and do what I should have done to begin with, okay? So I reassemble the trap. I spend another 30 to 45 minutes on the trap, and the more I spend time with the trap, it's still it's leaking. So now I've made it worse. Now, instead of just having a slow drain, the, the slow drain is leaking all over the sink. And so when I got done with it, I had to put a bucket under the trap to catch the mess that I had made, right? So this is three and a half hours still back, sore neck, and bad attitude later, I decide to call a plumber, all right? So, so on the next, on Monday, I call a plumber, you know, the guy, the local guy, master plumber guy, right? And it's like, yeah, I'm a little embarrassed to show you this, but this is what I've done. And he kind of, he was gracious, okay? So let's just say that he was gracious. He didn't mock me uh, too bad. And so he, uh, he was up in my bathroom for about 10 minutes and he comes down and uh, I said, oh, you're going to get some parties? He goes, no, I'm done. I mean, and I'm like, you're done, done? And he's like, yeah, no, I'm done, you know? And uh, I'm like, wow. And he, you know, kind of said, I got it all working good for you. And uh, so I go to get my checkbook, right? And I say, hey, you know, what do I owe you? And he goes, man, don't worry about it. I was only there for 10 minutes. To which I'm like, I'm an idiot. Okay, I get it. I'm an idiot. And, um, and I got to thinking about this sermon, right? And I got to thinking about how I do that with my life. Hey, God, I got this, right? And I get my wrench, and man, and I make a mess of things, and, and man, it's worse than when we first began. And that happens whenever Sean tries to be Lord of his life. It gets worse. And then we call in the master, and the master takes care of things. And here's what we want to do. We want to get out the checkbook for the master and say, hey, thank you. And the master says, it's this thing called grace. I got it covered because I can handle it. And there's some of you in this room, like you've been trying to do it your way, and God's beginning to get a hold of your heart and say, you know what? Listen, just, just trust me on this. 
I'm the one that created the heavens, right? Where were you when I laid the foundation? Like, try, like I know how, I know how your money best works. I know how your relationships best work. I know how your marriage best works. I know how your parenting best works. I know how church best functions. I know how I, all this stuff. Like, I know what I'm doing. Just trust me on this. And sometimes we think like God's the cosmic killjoy. Like if I, if I you know, God's gonna take all the fun of it. It's quite the opposite. When I called in the master, it was a lot easier on me, right? I didn't have a stiff neck at all once he came in. I wanna encourage you with this and we'll close with prayer. Our greatest joy is when we bow a knee of our hearts and worship Jesus the Christ for who he is. Our greatest joy comes when we bow a knee of our hearts and worship Jesus the Christ for who he really is. And I agree with my brothers and sisters in Christ from 2,000 years ago all the way to today. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Let's close in prayer and thank the master for his goodness and grace to us. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, the Christ, the one who saves us from our sin, the special one sent from you, our Lord. God, for the one in this room that has been fighting for control, that maybe today as we realize who Jesus really is, that they would acknowledge Jesus for who he is and feel a flood of your grace as the master comes in and straightens it all out. May we find our greatest joy in worshiping you. Being transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is acceptable worship to you, O oh Lord. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, church, this is our offering time. If you're a guest with us this morning, thank you so much for being here. I want you to know we're not after your money, okay? This is one of the ways we worship God at Coastal Community Church. Um, if you'd like to join us in that, you're certainly welcome. But as a guest, I'd love to have one thing from you. On the side of that bulletin is a tear-off. We call that a connect card. You know, if you just fill that out, drop that in an offering plate, all we want to do with that is send you a thank you card for coming. If you're here this morning and you have a prayer need, you'd like to talk to someone, our prayer team will be standing up here at the front. They'll come up during the offering, and uh, they'll stay here until after the service. So if you'd like to talk to someone uh, and pray with someone, they are here to minister to you uh, in that way as well. Joey.
Stand with us to God be the glory for. 